Lord, we do thank you for this time together as we look at why we need revival and some of the roadblocks to revival. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to all of our hearts. Just continue to draw us to you. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to teach us the things you want us to learn about your kingdom attitude, Lord, in our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to just grow more like you inside. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is from the Bible study that I had mentioned to you that we were doing. I didn't bring it today, but it's called Seeking Him. And it's all on why we need revival. So the chapter we're looking at is on humility, coming to God on his terms. And when you look at this topic, revival, why do you think we have to talk about humility? Or else we'll get in the way. That's a good answer. Yeah. We can hinder what God wants to do, right? Oh, look who's here. She must have a miraculous healing. Yeah. <laughs> Let me, uh, I have, I'm recording, so hopefully I'm giving you the right handouts there. So, so the reason why we have to talk about humility is because pride is a roadblock to revival. And I like how Samantha said the reason why we need humility is because we could get in the way of what God wants to do. So you can see why pride can be a roadblock to revival. C.S. Lewis said the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was pride that the devil became the devil. Did you ever think about that? It was pride that turned him into a devil because he used to be an angel that worshiped before the Lord. Pride leads to every other vice and it is the complete anti-God state of mind. So this all comes from the Bible study, just so in case for those that have it, it'll sound familiar, but when you think about what C.S. Lewis just said, and then you think about how the spirit of the world influences us in this area of pride. This is again from the Bible study. It says humility has never been popular in the eyes of the world. If you want to get ahead, self-confidence and self-promotion are the prescriptions for success. However, in the kingdom, I should say, of God, and especially in the process of revival, humility and brokenness are essential. And you know what's really sad when you read about what humility is and what the world is in, just self-confidence, self-promotion, which are the prescription for success, you realize that's crept into the church also how to be a successful pastor, how to have lots of numbers, you know. I mean, you just think about how that mindset is so prevalent now. And one thing that I heard recently is um, Jesus, when we stand before him, he's going to say, well done, my good and 
faithful servant? Were you faithful? Not did you have a successful church or how many people did you have in your church? Were you faithful to speak the truth in love? Were you faithful to the gospel, to the message of the gospel, to the, to the message of the cross? That's what he's looking for, faithfulness, faithfulness. So this, again, is from the Bible study. It says pride blinds us to our true condition, our true spiritual condition, and causes us to think more highly of ourselves than we should. And how many here have seen that in their own life that, yeah, it does. I, I'm, blind, I'm blind by my pride, but I also think more highly of myself than I should. When we are proud, self becomes more important than anyone else. And when we are proud, we are driven to promote ourselves and to protect our reputation. So pride keeps us at a distance from God. So again, like we started, the reason why we have to talk about humility is pride is a roadblock to revival. And it's interesting that in this Bible study, that's the first thing she goes after is this issue of pride. It's amazing to me that that's, it needs to be addressed like right in the beginning of why we need revival and why revival doesn't come because if it blinds us, if pride blinds us to our true spiritual condition, we won't be crying out to the Lord in desperation because we won't think we need to be revived. We'll think, oh, it's for everyone else. They need revival. I'm good. But we look at it it's like, no, I need revival. I'm not where I think I need, you know, I'm where I think I am. So Spurgeon said, Oh man, hate pride, flee from it, abhor it, don't let it dwell with you. And this, just to tell on myself, I prepared this maybe about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. And I was joking around with Jesse that, you know, you speak on pride and you're tested in every way because you're speaking on it. But the same thing that when we see pride, we look at, okay, well, what is humility? Because the scriptures tell us to clothe ourselves with humility. So that's telling me that's something I have to do. I could choose to do. So the past three or four weeks have been different situations have come up where the Lord says you have a choice here. You could be in pride or you can clothe yourself in humility. And it's like, whew, two pathways here before me. Humility is the displacement of self and the enthronement of Christ. Humility means Christ is all and self is nothing. And that really is our desire in the church here at Lighthouse is that Christ would be all. That man wouldn't be exalted, but Jesus alone. That Jesus alone would be seen. And, you know, we just have a tendency to exalt man and to promote man and put man on a pedestal. But what happens is when we do that, when man fails us, what happens to our faith? It's shaken and sometimes it's shipwrecked. So that's why we have to get our eyes off a of man because the world promotes man. The world is the one that's constantly putting man up here. 
like we read, but it's opposite in the kingdom of God. Even John the Baptist, Jesus said he was the greatest prophet ever, but he said, I must decrease and he must increase when Jesus was on the scene. So he saw his need to walk in humility, you know, and it's the same true for us. And, and it's interesting because we see in Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, it's interesting, it's written to us. The scripture says, if my people, not if those people over there, <laughs> you know, not the ones that don't know the Lord, it's if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. So we see the four conditions here that God sets forth for his people in this passage is the need to humble ourselves, or I could say clothe ourselves in humility. That's been like my theme for the past month. Clothe yourself in humility. Pray. See his face, which is something God keeps calling us all to, right? Come closer, draw nearer. Don't be satisfied with where we're at. Let's go deeper in seeking him together and individually, but also turn, to turn from our wicked ways. That is the place where we set ourselves up to be revived by the Lord, to be revived by him when we're walking in this. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Didn't King Nebuchadnezzar find this out? If you know the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, he, when he started getting his eyes on himself, oh, I did this, and I did that, and I built this, and I built that, God cut him down, you know, and it's amazing because the revelation he had at the end after he was stripped of everything in Daniel 4.37, he said those who walk in pride, God is able to put them down. So it pays to learn from scripture. <laughs> How do I walk in humility? How do I clothe myself in humility? Because I rather humble myself then God humble me because he might do it in a way that is really humbling, if you know what I mean. It's really, I mean, it's like out there for all the world to see. So Isaiah 57, 15, it's interesting because Isaiah was a prophet. He was a man of God. He prophesied for God. And yet he said in Isaiah 57, 15, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So again, we see that is needed for revival to come. God revives the spirit of those who are low before him at his feet. And he revives those that are contrite of heart. And it's interesting because this is, he said this in chapter 57. And we know in scripture it's not written in chapters and verses and the original format. But it's amazing that Isaiah looked over his life at one time in Isaiah 6 when he saw the Lord. 
And what was the first thing he said? This was a godly man. He was a prophet of God. Woe am I, because I dwell in the midst of an unclean people, and my lips are just as unclean as they are. And he knew, God cleansed me, wash me, wash me in your blood. So how we can tell how much pride we have, this, and again, this is something the Lord's been having me in for about three, four weeks now. How do we respond when we're confronted with our sin? And this goes for the young girls, too. You know, when mom points out things in your life that are not right or sinful against your brothers or sister, how do you respond? How do you respond when someone's falsely accusing you? And you know it's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no truth in it. But how do you respond to that? What happens inside when you hear someone might be gossiping about you and saying something that's not true at all about you or maybe your spouse or your kids or your grandkids? Something rises up inside, right? It's like, that's not true. You know, we put the boxing gloves on and it's like, hey, I'm going to defend myself. But what we realize is when we're in that, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we realize at that moment, I need a lot of grace at this moment to deal with this situation. I need a lot of grace at this moment to respond in the right way. But if I stay in my pride, God's going to resist me. But if I clothe myself in humility... Then I open myself up to his grace to be able to see that person and love them as Christ would love them, even though they might be in the wrong. Or just let the offense go, not even go there. Because, again, we look at Jesus, right? And Jesus was falsely accused. Today I started studying all the things because I'm going through all the Gospels and just writing out every single thing Jesus went through. Falsely accused, called a demon. I mean, they just ridiculed him horrible. And you read it and it's like, wow, Lord. And yet scripture tells us he opened not his mouth to defend himself, ever. When you look at him and you see, how do I respond? You see, man, I got a lot of pride and a lot of coming down to do. Because, again, the natural tendency is you want to fight, right? We want to fight. We want to defend ourselves. We want to say, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. So in the Bible study that week we looked at, there were two kings. There was Rehoboam and there was King Asa. And King Asa, the scripture references are there in your handout. But King Asa was to look to the Lord only to overcome his battles and his enemies. However, he looked to the Syrians for help against his enemies. So he was going against what God had told him to do. And Asa was given the opportunity to humble himself, acknowledge his wrongdoing, and receive God's mercy, but he didn't. What you find in 2 Chronicles 14, verses 2 through 7, and 2 Chronicles 16, verses 7 through 9, 10, 12 and 13 for the sake of those listening online that don't have the Bible study. He didn't receive correction when he was being corrected. 
Scripture tells us he was in a rage, he was angry, and he started inflicting cruelties upon some of the people. He wouldn't humble himself before the Lord, nor the man of God, who God was using to bring correction into his life. And it's sad because Asa's reign as a king ended in pride and rebellion, not with God's blessing on his life. And, you know, as I was meditating on that, this kept coming to me, that pride really is a cancer that eats away at the soul. I mean, it really is a cancer that slowly just eats away, eats away, eats away, eats away at the soul. So how do we know if we have pride? And I was kidding with Diane the last time we had class, we had discussion. I said, I don't know why every Bible study we do, it seems like we always come back to this handout that I know you ladies have gotten. I don't know how many times that I, I got this back when I was at Pure Life. So that was already seven years ago. I left and I got this from one of my counselors. I was like, man, this is like really good. But I'm going to read it differently than I typically read it. Because we're looking at, okay, how do we know if we have pride in our heart? So I'm just going to read through the section that says proud people. Typically, I'll go back and forth, the difference between a proud person and a broken person. But I just felt like, I don't know when I was going through it, to just I felt like the Holy Spirit just wanted me to read it straight through, you know, and just take it to heart what's being said here. And then I'm going to share what the Lord showed me this morning about me. So proud people usually focus on the failures of others. They have a critical, fault-finding spirit, and they look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but with their own with a telescope. The self-righteous look down on others, independent, self-sufficient spirit. They have to prove that they're right. They claim rights. They have a demanding spirit. They're self-protected of their time, their rights, and their reputation. They desire to be served, desire to be successful, desired self-advancement, have a drive to be recognized and appreciated, wounded when others are promoted and they are overlooked. They have a subconscious feeling, this ministry or church is privileged to have me and my gifts. Think of what they can do for God. They feel confident in how much they know. They're self-conscious. They keep others at arm's length. They're quick to blame others. Unapproachable or defensive when criticized. Concerned with being respectable with what others think. Work to protect their own image and reputation. Find it difficult to share their spiritual needs with others. They want to be sure that no one else finds out when they have sinned and their instinct is to cover it up. They have a hard time saying, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? Tend to deal in generalities when confessing sin. They're concerned about the consequences of their sin. Remorseful over their sin, sorry that they got found out or caught. They wait for others to come and ask forgiveness when there is a misunderstanding or conflict in a relationship. They compare themselves with others and feel worthy of honor. They they're blind to their true heart condition. They think they don't have anything to repent of, and they don't think they need revival 
but are sure that everyone else does. So when you read through it that way, it's like, whew, guilty, guilty, guilty. And as I was going through that this morning, I don't know why I kept seeing in my in my mind's eye a picture of a baby's diaper soiled with poop. Seriously, as I was going through, it's like the Lord was showing me that. But what he was showing me and what he was saying to me about my pride, how disgusting and stinky it is. I was just like, talk about a graphic picture from the Lord. But we have to see it the way he sees it, because if we don't see it the way he sees it, we won't repent of it. We'll keep like stroking it and, you know, nursing that thing. And meanwhile, it's a roadblock to revival. And we need to be revived all the time. I don't know about you, and I know I've brought this up before, but it seems like the, as further away the weeks get from the time of we had a special meeting, it's like, okay, I know God did something, but it's like, I feel like I'm caught up in the whirlwind again, you know? So we constantly need revival, but we have to let him deal with the pride aspect. So King Rehoboam began his reign in pride and rebellion in Second Chronicles 12, 6, and 7. However, Rehoboam and the leaders of the people humbled themselves when they were confronted about their sin. And you see that in the scriptures. They acknowledge that the Lord is righteous. He's right in judging my sin. Because he's righteous and he's holy. And God relented. He said he would not destroy them, but he would grant them some deliverance and that his wrath would not be poured out on Jerusalem. So what we see, both kings had sinned against God. Both men were confronted with their sin. One accepted the rebuke as God's way of cleansing, realizing God wants to purge this out of me. That's why he's showing me these things. The other received it as an assault on his reputation. No, I got to protect my reputation at all costs. At all costs, I got to protect my reputation. But meanwhile, again, we look at Jesus and he just, he was a man of no reputation. That's what was striking me this morning. I I was reading everything Jesus went through. He didn't protect his reputation. Humility restored Rehoboam, but pride ruined Asa, ruined him. Richard Baxter said, it is pride that is at the root of all of the sins, envy, contentions, discontent, and all hindrances that would prevent renewal. So what does humility look at like? Well, now we're going to read the section on broken people to see what what does humility look like because again as I mentioned earlier scripture tells us to clothe ourselves with humility so what does that look like broken people or humble people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need they're compassionate they can forgive much because they know how much they've been forgiven They esteem all others better than themselves. They have a dependent spirit. They recognize their need for others. They're willing to yield the right to be right. They yield their rights and they have a meek spirit, meaning they throw up a white flag. I don't have to win in this situation. 
I don't have to win. They're self-denying. They're motivated to serve others. They're motivated to be faithful and to make others a success. They desire to promote others. They have a sense of their own unworthiness and they're thrilled that God would even use them at all. They're eager for others to get the credit. They rejoice when others are lifted up. The hard attitude is, I don't deserve to have a part in any ministry. And they know that they have nothing to offer God except the life of Jesus flowing through their broken lives. They're humbled by how very much they have still to learn. They're not concerned with self at all. They're willing to risk getting close to others and to take risk of loving intimately. They accept personal responsibility and can see where they are wrong in a situation. They receive criticism with a humble and open spirit. They're concerned with being real. What matters to them is not what others think, but what God knows and are willing to die to their own reputation. They're willing to be open and transparent with others as God directs, as God directs. Once broken, they don't care who knows or who finds out. They're willing to be exposed because they have nothing to lose. They're quick to admit failure and to seek forgiveness when necessary. They're able to acknowledge specifics when confessing their sin. They're grieved over the cause and the root of their sin. They're truly, genuinely repentant over their sin, evidenced as they forsake that sin. They take the initiative to be reconciled. When there's a misunderstanding or conflict in relationships, they race to get to the cross. They see if they can get there first, no matter how wrong the other may have been. They compare themselves to the holiness of God and feel a desperate need for his mercy. They walk in the light. They realize they have need of a continual heart attitude of repentance. And they continually sense their need for a fresh encounter with God and for a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound so beautiful and desirous? And you know, if you're wanting that and pursuing that, then expect God to bring situations into your life where it's an opportunity. Am I going to react in pride, respond in pride? Or am I going to clothe myself in humility? How am I going to respond in this situation? He'll bring things. He'll bring people. He'll bring everything you can think of just to show you the pride. But then also, okay, here's an opportunity for you to just enter into what we just read, that brokenness that he wants to put in all of our hearts. Because if we're there, we'll be experiencing revival. We will experience this revival in our life daily. Isaiah, I mentioned this already, when he saw the Lord, he realized he was a man of unclean lips. And Isaiah, it's amazing, he saw the Lord in his awesome holiness and majesty. And you can't help when you get a sight of who Jesus is, whether through scripture or as we're worshiping the Lord, or even if you're out and about and you just have... You see creation and everything and just overwhelmed with who he is through creation or just even people. I mean, that you see that 
God is speaking through or using and you're just overwhelmed how he reaches out to another person has his compassion you can't help but to see where you don't measure up to the Lord you know that Lord man I'm not like you like that I want to be I really do but I'm still in the way as Samantha said earlier I mean you open the class with that we get in the way that's why we need humility in our life because if we're in pride the Holy Spirit can't flow out of us in the way that he wants to and that's why when Isaiah saw the Lord in his awesome holiness and majesty he recognized the depth of his own sinfulness and he was totally overwhelmed woe am I totally overwhelmed totally overwhelmed but he confessed his sin you know, and that's the beautiful thing about repentance. We, when we see it, we could just confess, Lord, I repent of my pride. I mean, I repent of who I am inside, that I want to fight or get defensive or protect my reputation or this or that or the other thing. Or blah, 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 blah. <laughs> repent, Lord. And what's so encouraging, we see that even though Isaiah saw what he was like, even though he was a godly man, I mean, I'm more godly than any of us sitting in this room, for sure. I believe, you know. But yet he saw his sin, and God cleansed him. That gives us hope. That if you cleanse him, you'll cleanse me of all my unrighteousness, right? Oh, an awareness of God's holiness drives us to acknowledge our sin and receive his forgiveness. And Peter had the same experience, right? Remember, he couldn't catch any fish. And Jesus said, just throw your net out. And he caught all these fish and he realized who Jesus was. He realized he is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And what did you, and Peter said to Jesus, depart from me, Lord. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. But isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus loves sinners? He loves us. He loves us. John Flavel, these are some quotes from the Bible study. He said, they that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. So they that know God will be humble, but they that know themselves cannot be proud. If we know what we're capable of, if we know what we're like inside, it's very hard to rise up in pride. It's very hard to. Francis Chan, I love this, what he said. He said, when the church really takes on the humble characteristics of Christ, that's going to lead to revival. So you look at that and you wonder, why is there not revival in the church in America, even in our nation? Do we see humble characteristics? No. And I've been listening to some preachers that have been talking about, especially on Facebook, you know, believers and what they get in with one another on Facebook and fighting and bickering and back and forth, back and forth. And yet they're trying to witness to unsaved people, but they see this and it's like, why do I want your Christ? Why do I want to follow you? You're no different from the rest of the world. 
And it's a tool of the enemy that he's using. Everything that's happening now in our nation to cause us to be divided against each other. And it's working pretty well. But it's all based in pride. I'm right. You're wrong. It should be this way. You're not doing it right. I know better. Excuse me? We need the Lord to help us, don't we? I know I need him for my own life, but then I look at the state of the church on a whole, and then further out, the state of the nation, and then further out, the global system, the whole global system. It's like, what is it going to take for the Lord to bring us to his feet? But... We don't have to wait for that day to come. We could choose to clothe ourselves now in humility with the different circumstances God brings into our life. Where we looked at that list, your reputation, or being corrected in some way, or slander, rumors, everything Jesus faced. Jesus said if if I went through these things, you're going to face them too. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me and the message that I brought, they are going to hate you and turn against you. That's fact. That's why it's called the narrow way. It's difficult because when that starts happening to you, when you're being persecuted for righteousness sake, you know, and part of the Sermon on the Mount, it said, and when people say all manner of evil against you, it's sandwiched in that scripture verse. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake and all manner of evil is being spoken against you for so they treated the prophets that were before you. That tells me to expect that. If you're speaking the truth and you're not compromising it, you're not compromising it because you know one day you have to stand before the Lord and have to give an account to him only. And like I said midway in this teaching, what is he going to say when we see him? Thou good and faithful servant. Not how many people were in the church, how many people got saved. Were you faithful? Were you faithful to share the truth that can save a soul or get them off that pathway that's leading them to destruction? Or did you care more about your own reputation? Did you care more about self? Which we looked at as rooted in pride. So again, we see, Lord, we need revival, but we have to be walking in humility, clothed in humility. And God helps us by bringing things into our lives so we can learn this. And he'll use those in the home. He'll start there, whether it's the spouse, the children, grandkids. And then from there, he'll spread it out. Family members, phone calls with mom or dad or <coughs> aunt or cousin or spread it out. 
Even in the body of Christ. Even in the body of Christ. Iron sharpens iron, right? How do we respond? Remember, we saw two kings, Asa and Rehoboam. Which one do you want to be? Which one do I want to be? Rehoboam humbled himself. Asa didn't. Asa didn't. So again, Francis Chan, when the church really takes on the humble characteristics of Christ, that's going to lead to revival. And being aware of how arrogant we really are is the first step towards humility. Those who have a humble heart are candidates for revival. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a candidate for revival. Because I need revival in my life every single day. I need God to revive me every single day. But I have to be in humility. You know, I have to be walking in humility. So 1 Peter 5, verses 7, I'm sorry, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read the, the whole context there. I didn't want to just pull out one verse, but it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So that's instruction to us. To submit ourselves to one another, to submit to someone, you have to humble yourself, right? But also, I've been saying it throughout this talk since I started being clothed with humility because we realize that God resists us when we walk in pride, but he gives grace to the humble. And there was a situation that came up two weeks ago with uh, Lauren. And uh, I told you that I've been studying this for three, four weeks. So there was a situation that came up and... I just knew I have to go back to Lauren and just confess to him where I was wrong. Even though circumstances, you looked at the circumstances and it seemed like it was justified. I mean, if I was to tell anyone the circumstances, I'd say, well, yeah, you were right to do that. But the Holy Spirit was telling me you weren't clothed in humility. It might have been right. But your spirit wasn't right. You were in pride. And I saw the Lord open the door for me to just go to him and say, say to him, you know, I need to repent because what I said was true. However, I didn't clothe myself in humility. I said it pretty. <laughs> but you wonder why the Bible says stiff necked. I was stiff-necked when I said it. But the Lord checked me, and I'm so thankful because I realized that scripture just kept standing out to me through this whole study. Clothe yourself in humility. Clothe yourself. That was the only thing that kept standing out to me in this study for about four weeks now. And I realized this was a situation 
that God was saying, here's your opportunity. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? And it was like, I have to do it. Yeah, I have to do it. You know, if I want God's grace for the situation that I'm dealing with, I got to clothe myself in humility. And I got nothing but grace from him. And that's usually what happens, right? When we do clothe ourselves with humility and we go to that person, usually we get grace. Sometimes we don't because the other person is still unrepentant and in their own pride, their own thing. But we don't have to react in the same way. That's the thing. We don't have to react in the same way. And you need God to do that. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, when it says to not be drunk with wine in which there's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And I think all of us want that, right? We all want to be controlled more and more by the Spirit, by what comes out of our mouth, by what we think, right? How we respond. So think about how might our homes workplaces and churches be different if believers were all clothed with humility you think there would be church splits no. you think people would be bouncing leaving church because they were offended over nothing or maybe something there wouldn't be but because there's no humility that's why we see the state of the church the way it is. And that's why we don't have revival. But we still pray for it. But it has to start with us individually. Can't even do it as a, a group. It has to be one person at a time. If, if I'm clothing myself in humility, if you're clothing yourself, you, 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 the kids, you, you. There's going to be peace and harmony. But when we're dug in saying, no, I'm right. I'm right. It has to be this way. Pride divides. Humility unites. Pride divides. Humility unites. And it's difficult when you're willing to humble yourself, but the other person's not. You have times like that, and that's very difficult. And you just have to let it go. You have to let it go. You have to pray. But you have to make sure your heart stays in humility. And you don't get angry, bitter, resentful. Yeah. That's why we need the Lord. So I mentioned in the beginning of this class, this was going to be like a toe stopper class. But it's something that we do have to look at. And it's interesting how in the beginning of the Bible study, this is the first topic she's dealing with. So you have some homework that I did pass out that you can go through. You can answer those questions. She's, she learned how to walk, so she's like, I'm in a bowl. <laughs> you having fun? 
<laughs> yeah, she said yeah. yeah. <laughs> she took her head, she said yeah. <laughs> so you can do the homework that is there. I don't think we'll discuss it only because we're taking two weeks off in November and I don't want to like keep pushing the Bible study out. So next week we're going to look at the, um, the chapter on honesty. So there'll be a teaching next week, but I still want you to go through the homework for the humility one because it'll just help you to get it more in you and just to be praying over it. And there's some prayer points there, too, that you could be praying for. So I'm just going to close in prayer since we need to go into the sanctuary. But, Lord, I, I just want to say thank you. Even though this is such a hard topic to talk about and to do, Lord, and to live by because we don't realize how much pride really is in our heart until we start making a conscious effort to clothe ourselves in humility, knowing that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And we need so much grace, especially in the day we're living in, Lord. There's so much hostility and backbiting and bickering and fighting and opinions and this and that again I see it all over Facebook and I don't even you know I'm, I'm like I don't even want to be on there anymore because it's just it's horrible and this is amongst your people which is so sad this is what the world sees a church that can't get along with one another and, and, and I see why you said so many times Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one. You knew. You knew. But Lord, we have to be in humility. We have to be walking as you walked. You were the perfect expression of humility and love. Jesus, we need what you walked in, in the state that we're living in. And Lord, we thank you for showing us that Pride is a roadblock to revival. We thank you for exposing that filthy diaper, as it were, that's all soiled, how stinky it is. Lord, that's what our pride is like. But God, I'm trusting you to help us to be a body of believers here in this room, these ladies, those listening online that truly want this life, that you're going to help us to give us the grace to clothe ourselves in humility for every situation we find ourselves in, that you are allowing to come into our lives for this purpose, to make us more like your son. God, would you give us the Holy Spirit in a greater measure to shine in that way for you, Jesus, just like you shine. In the midst of the Pharisees, when you were led before Pilate, you didn't open your mouth, but yet you shined so brightly in the midst of that darkness. May our lives be the same as yours. May we truly be children of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.